Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. It is the start of week four of the season. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Joe Healy here again with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, get, get ready for the fourth weekend of college baseball. For some places, that means the start of conference play, looking at the ACC particularly on that one. Some teams are, are doing some tournaments still. We've got a, a big one out in L.A., that Joe is going to be at, and you know, for a lot of teams, it's it's just a, a chance to you know really settle into the the course of the season here, Joe. And as we get in almost a month into the season, you know, it, it's it's already flying by us. Yeah, it really is. I mean, last week I talked about how I was already depressed because the season is almost over, and see, and you're making my point for me now. Um, it's a weird weekend, you know, in, in that. It's exciting to have ACC start their conference play. I mean, that's always exciting when, when teams start playing in their conference, and it, it really kind of helps us get perspective on, on what's what. Uh, but to a point you've made on the show before, week four is also an opportunity for some of these teams that, that are going to go through the grind of the conference season to scale back a little bit, uh, maybe get a little bit healthy if they've got a guy or two who's maybe you know a little dinged up a week away from being ready to go, those kinds of things, or just to kind of get right if they've got some questions. Um, so it, it's kind of ends up being a weird week where you've got a lot of stuff that we're probably not going to pay a ton of attention to unless something crazy happens, but also a, 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 a condensed group of games that, that we're going to be paying a lot of attention to. I'm excited to get out to LA. We'll obviously talk about that in, in more depth as we go. But in addition to that tournament, we've got, you know, Michigan's out there playing Pepperdine, which I'll, I'll be there for at least one of those games over the weekend. So that, that's kind of worked out in, in my favor that that is going on as well. That's kind of a nice little bonus. Um, and look, I mean, if you got a chance to get out to Malibu and you don't, like that's a, to me, that's a problem. Like you, if you get a chance to get out there, you, you got to get a chance to get out to Malibu. So it'll be my, my first time out there. So I'm excited about seeing one of the best, best backdrops in college baseball. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think I mentioned on Monday's podcast that I feel like the focus of college baseball this weekend is going to shift west between the uh, what they're calling the Southern California College Baseball Classic, the artist formerly known as the Dodger Stadium College Baseball Classic. And if you're really old, you might remember it as the Dodger Town Classic Tournament. I don't remember what they called it uh, before Dodger Town in Florida told them to cut it out, and they uh, renamed it the Dodger Stadium Classic. Uh, so there's that thing going on in L.A., uh, the Pepperdine Michigan series is very intriguing as Pepperdine is off to a, a flying start. You have UCSB going up to play Oregon State. Uh, UCSB just became just gave UCLA their first loss this week in, in the midweek, and now gets a chance to to go up and, and take on the Beavers in Corvallis, and that'll be Mitch Canham's first home game in charge as uh, Oregon State head coach. So there's a lot going on out west this weekend 
which uh, which is fun. And then out on the East Coast, you have the the ACC starting. So what what's going on in the middle of the country? I mean, I'm very usually very attuned to that, and I know you are as well, Joe, as a, a fellow Midwesterner. But uh, this weekend, it's going to be very very much coastal. Uh, you know, both both in the the ACC and, and out on the on the West Coast. That's really going to be the focus for us on this podcast, and honestly, probably on Mondays as well. Yeah, I mean, what's going on in the middle of the country, at least north of you know the, the Mason Dixon line, if you will, is is a lot of teams coming home for the first time. I mean, that's it is kind of that time of year when when those Big Ten teams, Missouri Valley teams, you know, uh, start to get settled back at home and start to play some home games after having been on the road for the first few weeks of the season. So that's a big deal for those teams as well. And, and a lot of times they they open up a little uh, with something a little softer just to kind of get back into the routine of of playing at home. So uh, certainly that's going to be out of the limelight, but for those teams it's it's a big deal to be able to start to play some home games because that's when you, um, you know, those are that's when these teams try to make a little hay because some of them have taken a beating uh, being on the road as you would expect. So it's, it's big for them to be able to play some home games and sleep in their own beds a little more often um, and, and try to get rolling from there. All right, so we're going to get into it here in a second, but first I want to get us a word from our sponsor, Roman. If you were to guess, Joe, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? Okay, so are we talking, are we counting weekend days? You know, I think you do. Okay. Because you're still sick on the weekend. It doesn't take a break. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to say 24. Americans have to wait around 29 days, so you're close, Joe, to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, that's a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com BA for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com BA for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Now, Joe, we mentioned the, uh, the tournament in Los Angeles now being called the Southern California Classic. That is because Dodger Stadium is under renovations in advance of the All-Star Game this summer. The LA Times tweeted a video from inside the stadium the other day, and if, uh, if you're curious, I retweeted it. You can find it on my account, at Ted Cahill, and it makes it pretty clear that they could not have played in Dodger Stadium this weekend. So the format, which usually is USC and UCLA co-hosting, they bring out two teams. Uh, those two teams play at USC and UCLA on uh, Friday and Saturday, and then everyone convenes at Dodger Stadium on Sunday, uh, culminating with the USC-UCLA rivalry game that annually draws you know, 10,000 fans or so in, into Dodger Stadium. Uh, the format is largely the same, but instead of convening at Dodger Stadium, they will conclude the thing. Uh, over at USC. The field this year, in addition to the co-hosts, is TCU and Vanderbilt. Um, and it's, uh, it's a fun-looking field. You have UCLA, which 
was undefeated up until uh, Tuesday night when they lost to Santa Barbara. They've been pitching incredibly well this season. You have Vanderbilt. We, we've spent a fair amount of time discussing Vanderbilt here. TCU, which is off to a really nice start and moved into the top 25 this week for the first time at uh, you know having won 10 of their first 12. And uh, USC, which has a, a new coach in Jason Gill, you know some excitement around the program. We'll see where the results are uh, at this point, but you know there it's a uh, it's a new look USC right now and. Uh, so it's a uh, it's an intriguing field that you're going out to see this weekend. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. Uh, you know, for for a number of reasons. One, another look at Vanderbilt. I I obviously saw them opening weekend, and and it's been a weird year for them. I mean, they opened with a one and two weekend in Arizona, and you're kind of willing to let that go because the competition was good and it's opening weekend and so on and so forth. Then they looked dominant for a couple of weeks, or, uh, you know, a couple of weeks worth of games anyway. They had midweek games along the way and. You're like, okay, they're back on track, and they struggle so mightily with Hawaii this past weekend, and so I'll be interested to kind of see what what they look like against good competition again. Um, I suspect um, they'll be back on track. Uh, UCLA kind of you laid it out there with UCLA. I mean, UCLA is is always a, a pitching first outfit, but the numbers this year are just uh, kind of absurd to this point. And I remember kind of saying this last year, coming out of when I saw them against Georgia Tech. I mean, but a 143 team ERA is, um, I mean, is it good? It is pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good. I can confirm that. I don't know much, but I know that 143 team ERA is good. So, But the difference this year, I think, I mean, last year their offense was good, but this year's offense, I think, even I, I, there was some concern about it because, okay, last year's offense was good, but you're losing these guys, uh, you know, Michael Tolia at all, if you will. And um, this year, though, I mean, the guys that we kind of looked at as needing to step up, Matt McClain, chief among them, have been outstanding, and it's kind of helped elevate that offense back to about what they were last year. But I'm, so I'm looking forward to kind of seeing that in um, in person and seeing that um, against tougher competition. USC is interesting as well. You, you mentioned the new head coach, and, and there's some talent there. And I mentioned this when I when I did my Pac-12 preview that the the talent that's assembled at USC is not what you might have expected with you know, a team that's being taken over by a new coaching staff, a lot of times there's like a hard reset when you when you have that happen in the team. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's kind of a dearth of talent. That is, is certainly not the case with USC. I mean, they've got, you know, pitchers in Kyle Hurt and John Beller that would pitch for a lot of other teams in the Pac-12 and around the country, and Jamal O'Gwin in, in the lineup who's a highly thought-of prospect. And so there's some pieces there. And so, you know, I, I haven't laid eyes on USC myself this season, so I think that'll be a good look for me. And, and then TCU, I think, is probably the team that I'm most interested in just from the standpoint of we know what UCLA and Vanderbilt are bringing to the table. And Mike Rooney on our show a couple weeks ago said, I think TCU's uh, talent level is back to what we're used to it being. Uh, when they were making those trips to Omaha annually, and, and certainly I, I liked the talent because you know I picked them as my Omaha sleeper this year. So I, I'm I'm interested to see. We've got them in the top 25 now, um, but are they? Is that kind of what their ceiling is, or do they show us something else this weekend by by winning winning a couple of games? Do they show us the ceiling is even even better than that? I suspect that. Um, it's it's just hard to say. I suspect that maybe we'll come out of it saying the answer is somewhere in between the two, um, but certainly the opportunity is there for them to announce in a big way that hey, you know, TCU is TCU is TCU again at least to this point of the season. Yeah, I think that what they've shown us so far has been pretty intriguing. They they have some nice, really nice series wins. Uh, you know, they they start with a sweep of Kentucky. 
Now, obviously, there are questions about just how good Kentucky is this year, having also now been swept at home by UNC Wilmington. But anyway, TCU very ha- very easily handed Kentucky three losses to start the season. Then they went up to Minnesota and handily won that series. And then they, they swept Cal back at home this last weekend. And again, some questions right now about how good Cal is. But those are three solid series wins that are, that are going to resonate all year long, and now the the level of competition is going to be a little higher because you're going out on the road and you're you're going to have to take on uh, some really good competition out on the West Coast. And I, I think that you know what TCU has this year is uh, you know they, they they brought in a lot of new talent from the junior college ranks, from the freshman class, and it's mixing really well with with what they had already. And so. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what that looks like this weekend, and I'm pretty interested to see what you know USC has this weekend. It's kind of uh, you know really the first big test for the Trojans. You know they uh, they played Western Michigan and Seton Hall at home, and then they also played in the Tony Gwynn Classic. Um, this is this is different. There are going to be a lot more eyes on what happens this weekend, and. You know, four players like Jamal Gwynn and, and Ben Ramirez and John Beller that are, you know, older players that have been producing pretty well for the Trojans. Okay, now you get to do that, but you, now you're going to have to do that on a higher level or a higher level of competition. And, and what is that going to look like? And, and how are they ready or are they ready for that? Because what follows this weekend is the start of Pac 12 play, and they get a Washington team coming to USC. That's a really solid team that is experienced and that is going to make your life pretty difficult. So I, I think these next two weekends are going to let us know a lot about what USC is and what to expect from the Trojans for, for the rest of the season. I mean, but don't look now. If, I mean, if we're going to look ahead a little bit with USC, I mean, they do have an opportunity in Pac-12 play to make a little hay and kind of prove that prove a little something and maybe show that, that it's at the very least kind of a, a middle-of-the-pack packed 12 team with aspirations for more because after Washington they do they get Oregon now it's a road series but they get Oregon that's a rebuilding program as well and you don't quite know what to expect there week to week they get Arizona at home you know Arizona's been been pretty inconsistent and I'd much um, rather have that at home absolutely yeah absolutely and then they got Washington State and Stanford coming back to back right after that help Cal is right right behind that And, and those are three teams that you know, uh, have been a little bit inconsistent to begin the season. And so I think there's an opportunity for, I say all that to say, an opportunity for USC to to get a little bit of a quick start in Pac-12 play. And what that ends up, you know, maybe this is a down pack year. I mean, we just talked about how some teams that we thought were going to be in the mix to be in regionals, like Cal and Stanford, are off to inconsistent and slow starts. So maybe it's just that it ends up being a year when the pack is is a little bit down. And so being being what USC ends up being maybe just isn't, a regional team, but the record is good. Maybe that's what it ends up being. But but certainly, I look at the schedule and um, I see an opportunity for USC to, to to make a little hay and to pile up some wins early on. And who knows? You know, maybe the wind is in their sails at that point, and and they take off. So that's obviously a, a little bit higher level of analysis than I certainly expect to do with USC. But I just found it interesting that that in terms of their toughest Pac-12 series, namely Arizona State, Oregon State, and UCLA, it's very very backloaded. Yeah, that is that is definitely the case. And but given how the pack is shaking out this year, it's going to be pretty easy to be front loaded or back loaded. At least right now, the way we're evaluating it, there are only two Pac-12 teams in the top 25. They both happen to reside in the top 10. 
And then after that, you know, we've had Arizona this year. They just fell out. I like Washington. Um, listeners of this podcast have probably heard me say that several times over the last four, five years. I like what Washington has this year. I think that they could, uh, you know, be a be a pretty solid team. But we'll, we have to see. Still, the jury's still out on the Huskies right now. And um, you know, Oregon State is sitting under five hundred right now. Um, you know, so that that's a team that we expect to be better, and, and I think will be. But you know, right now they're under five hundred. So it's an interesting pack here, and, and that means that if USC is able to get going a little bit, you know, there is room for them to, uh, you know for upward momentum that, that they maybe haven't had uh, over the last few years here. Uh, one thing I am overarchingly looking forward to in this tournament is that the pitching all looks very good. You know, you, you, we know what we have uh, on the mound you know, with UCLA. We know what we have with Vanderbilt, a little less so with Kumar Rocker not starting last week maybe. Uh, but presumably, if he weren't able to start this week, you would insert Jack Leiter, who did not pitch on Tuesday, where he had no, typically been starting this season. Uh, so even if it winds up being Leiter instead of Rocker, that's still uh, extraordinary. And then TCU has pitched at a really high level this year. They have a, a 2-1-3 team ERA, and you know, you've know you got guys like Johnny Ray and Russell Smith and Riley Cornelio that are off to, uh, to really nice starts, and, um, you know, Charles Kane, a senior that you know has has been around the block for them. You know, I feel bad for him at a three eighty six. That's the third worst ERA on the entire team at three eight six. Yeah, I looked at the stat sheet actually when we were started this conversation, and I was like, boy, Charles King maybe off to a slow start. I was like, oh nope, wait, actually he's been fine. It's just that everyone else has been so good. Three eighty six is almost all the way down the stat sheet when you sort by ERA. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. And then you know. So we'll see what USC has on the mound, but they're at, sitting at 239 now. And I mentioned John Beller earlier; he's off to a really nice start at uh, you know 2 and 0, 112. Isaac Escada, another guy that pitched well in the Cape this summer, is is doing well. And uh, Kyle Hurt, his uh, he, he has an incredible wealth of talent. Still waiting on him to kind of put it all together, but there are guys on the mound there at USC that can can really get things done as well. So. I think you might be in for a classic West Coast, low-scoring kind of weekend. I'd be here for it, honestly. I, that, I think that's kind of what you want to see when you when you go out there. Like I, I, I find it interesting that UCLA, for example, has kind of these dynamic offensive pieces like a, uh, like a Matt McClain, for example, a Garrett Mitchell. But what you really want to see when you go out there is you know, we know these teams are going to pitch well, but who pitches best? Because that, that could be what it comes down to. So I, I think I, I would certainly be here for it. I, I think that's what you go out to a tournament like this to see, for sure. The other really cool thing that, that's happening this year with, uh, with this tournament is that you're actually going to be able to see it if you aren't there because UCLA has figured out how to live stream some games this season. All right. So, shouts to UCLA. It's been a long time coming, but both of their uh, home games will be streamed on Pac-12+. Plus. Um, wherever wherever you find that on UCLA's website, just go to the schedule. It'll it'll pop up. There, yeah, I'm sure. Those are the free streams. Now the Sunday game it is showing as Pac-12 Networks, which Correct. so that one the, the USC game will not be available online. But. And I'm not sure that Vanderbilt TCU that morning will will be streamed because again it's a Pac-12 Network day, not a Pac-12 stream day. But regardless, we're moving in the right direction. We are moving in the right direction, and USC as always streams its game, so you'll be able to see pretty much every game from this tournament, which. 
We're moving. Hey, we're moving yeah, forward. Yeah, man, that's <laughs> that's uh, you know I did not. This was news to me. The UCLA on the stream. So I know we've 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 joked about that and, and given the program a hard time about that. Some of us have not been joking. Um, well, <laughs> I mean. Um, well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but um, so we, we've talked about that a lot. But but so in all seriousness, it is nice to see them to get that up and going and, and uh, have a more of an opportunity to see a, a program like UCLA that just, just frankly deserves the attention. Yeah, the the game against Vanderbilt on Friday night is a top five showdown. Yeah, must I mean that's must see TV. Honestly, I mean honest to goodness, like one of my annoyances, um, and this is not a shot at anyone. It's just in general, like one of my annoyances is that. The, the games the first two days are in the same exact time windows so you can't do like a double dip like you can't go to Jackie Robinson and then Dato for another game like they're in the same time windows and that's kind of obnoxious to me um, so at first I was kind of like looking or you know I hadn't really I didn't know what the breakdown of who was playing who so I was debating do I go to USC or do I go to UCLA Friday night and then when I saw it was UCLA Vanderbilt it was obviously not much of a no no disrespect to USC or TCU but it was not much of a decision once I saw how that had, had broken. The, uh, the answer for me, in the couple years I've covered it, has just been you. You go sit at Jackie Robinson. That is that is just the way, the, the way to do it. And I that might be the answer this weekend as well. Although, again, we're a little uncertain about who's pitching for Vanderbilt right now, and um, so we'll we'll see how that that all shakes out. That could end up being lighter, could end up being eater, could end up being rocker on Saturday at USC. So, uh, regardless of of who among that group they pick to be their Saturday starter against the Trojans. It's going to be a fun one at Dado. Um, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Joe, I did want to uh, ask the same question I asked last week about the Shriners College Classic, and that is who has the most to gain this weekend? I think it's TCU for me. I mean, I think very little could happen this weekend that would fundamentally change what I think, at least just speaking for myself, about UCLA and even to a certain degree Vanderbilt, even though they've, they've sputtered at certain points. I mean, just the individual performances they've got, I, I feel like the production they've got, if you add that all together, is greater than what they've done with that production, if that makes sense. And so that leads me to believe that, like, I don't know exactly why they've sputtered a little bit, but it, it just is what it is. So I, I don't think with those two teams, in, and USC, of course, is just a wild card, but with those two teams, I don't see much that could happen that would really fundamentally change what I believe about them. With TCU, though, I could go two ways with what they do this weekend. I think there's a scenario where they, you look at them against Vanderbilt and UCLA, and they don't look much. They they look like they belong. They don't look like it on a different level than those two teams. I also think there is a, a possibility they go out there and it, it there is separation. And like, I'm not saying I would come out of thinking TCU is a bad team. They just they might not be up to that level, which is okay, by the way. Um, you know, UCLA and Vanderbilt are operating at such a high level. But so there is just a, a range of outcomes for TCU that I think could change what I my priors about them. Whereas I don't feel that way about UCLA and Vanderbilt. And again, USC is just so much of a wild card. Yeah, I think TCU is a, a strong answer. They're uh, they're certainly positioned to uh, to make a move this weekend, like you said. I think, you know, I, I could see it being USC really making making a move again if they can establish some momentum here. That could it could carry them a long way. And while it might not carry them into the top twenty-five, say, um, you know, they're sitting at seven and four now. I, I don't know if nine and five USC is going to be in the top twenty-five on Monday morning, um, but. If they if they build that momentum and carry that into the start of Pac-12 play, like that's the start of a regional resume, 
which in the first year for, for Jason Gill, for a, a team that hasn't been to regionals in, I think, four or five years now? 15 would have yeah, been last 15, year. Um, that, that would be very significant. So I think that, that this could be the start of something. And they typically have played UCLA really well in Dodger Stadium. I think their record in that game is uh, far superior to the record against UCLA in you know, normal Pac-12 play. So I don't know if that'll carry over, but they do at least have a home game out of it this year. So I think that's something. And then I also think Vanderbilt has a chance to do something this weekend. I don't know that they have the most to gain here, but let's say Vanderbilt swept through this thing. Like I would go back to feeling a lot better about the team that I picked to win the national championship and uh, you know was the preseason number one team in the country. <laughs> A lot better than I do right now, which you know is they barely won a series against Hawaii at home. So you know it, it's one weekend. I don't want to make too much of that Hawaii thing, but if they compound that by not playing particularly well out in LA, that becomes a thing, and and then SEC play starts next week. So I think Vanderbilt maybe doesn't have the most to gain, but they do need a good weekend. Not that anyone, it's not a must-win, nothing like that, but like just to you know reassure everyone before they start SEC play although I say all of that next week they play Toledo and Kentucky at home and uh, well that that almost has to be four wins the way Kentucky's playing right now and where Toledo's at as a program so they will they do have a little like there are no soft entries into the SEC play but they actually found one so if if they do stumble this week they can feel good about the fact that they can definitely get right next week. Uh, Josie, you're going there. Who are you most looking out for? Who are you most excited to see? I think it's those those UCLA position players. Uh, you know, I know I talked about being excited to see how, you know, how, how well the, the pitching goes, but I think what goes along with that is seeing how these offensive players for all teams but especially UCLA kind of handle that pitching because I admitted, you know, we've had in one of our editorial meetings here, I, I had to admit that, and part of this, by the way, is because of the lack of streaming of UCLA games. You know, I felt like some of the guys for UCLA, and, and I saw them last year against Georgia Tech, but I still felt like, you know, we have Garrett Mitchell, and Carlos, our draft writer, has Garrett Mitchell as, you know, a first, front half of the first round type player. He's somewhere in the top 10 right now. I'm yeah. Looking at today. And... I don't know that much about him. Like, I know what the stats are. I know what the profile is. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen him a lot. And, and then you've got Matt McClain, a guy who was a highly touted player coming in, turned down good money to come to college, uh, but really struggled last year and looked overmatched, quite frankly, a lot of times. But he'd have these little starbursts of, like, moments where you saw it, but it could never put the consistency together. And this year it looks like he's doing that, at least so far. So... You know, guys like that are Michael Curiel is another guy, you know, freshman this year uh, who looks like he's taken to it, uh, at least better than McLean in, in that small sample size so far. So um, that position player group is interesting to me just because it, it's my, one of my own blind spots where I could tell you a decent amount about UCLA pitching. And last year when I went to see them against Georgia Tech, I think I was just more focused on that part of it. So because you'll remember, this seems like so long ago and it seems wackadoo now but we did have questions about UCLA pitching coming into last year believe it or not which seems like truly wild really dumb of us but but we did and so I was pretty laser focused on like okay this Georgia Tech offense is good I don't even know that I thought it would be as good as it was but the Georgia Tech offense is good it's talented what does UCLA pitching do and the answer was pitch really well 
and I, I think I just gave short shrift to that that position player group, maybe outside of the draft eligible guys who are now gone. So I'm curious to see that in action and really kind of get a, a more well-rounded view of who these guys are. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, definitely a thing to watch. And if you if you are watching on TV, um, be that on the Pac-12 network or on either USC or UCLA's uh, live stream, um, you know that that's that's something to watch. And I I'm very interested from afar at what. Uh, TCU's arms do. You know, we we ran off the stats there. You know, two thirteen team ERA, everything that that some of these guys have done. Well, they're going to face uh, you know really big time pitching as well. So they're going to be counted on to pitch like that again this weekend because I don't think it's reasonable that you're going to you know your offense can just put up five six runs every game this weekend. If TCU is going to win this weekend, these guys are going to be counted on. So what does that look like then? And, and you know, some of these guys are you know new to college, like a Riley Cornelio is a freshman. Some of them are, are coming from junior college. Some of them have been around, like a Charles King. But what that looks like, I think, is going to be uh, an important thing to watch. And why Joe was talking about you know TCU having the most to gain potentially is is part of just that unknown of of what it's going to look like in in games where they have to pitch to win. What are what do these these arms do on the road? All right, so we'll definitely circle back to the Southern California College Baseball Classic on Monday. Plenty to talk about once these games all play out, so we'll we'll be looking for that. I want to switch coasts. Let's talk about the start of ACC play. ACC is the first major conference to to open its conference play. They do it a week earlier than everyone else because. They have uh, a bye week built in, which is something that you know the SEC and uh, Pac-12 do not, um, despite the fact that they all play the, the 30 conference games. But the ACC, for some of the more academically inclined schools, builds in a bye week for, for the finals. And that gets us conference play a week earlier out, out this way. We came into the season with Louisville and Miami as top five teams in the in the preseason top 25 they were the uh clear-cut division favorites that that is that is where we entered the season after three weeks joe are you still there well yes and no i know that's a boring answer but the thing about it is is i individually i I do have little worries about louisville and miami so with louisville it's that you know and and maybe these are a little bit overblown but I, i still think with louisville i think with as long as Dunn and Benellis are on the shelf, like it's it, it's hard for me to see. It's hard for me to see that there being enough impact offensively. Now, some of the guys we pointed to as guys that would need to step up have done so. Guys like Levi Usher, Zach Britton, guys like that. So uh, that's the part where maybe I'm underselling this a little bit. Is maybe we I have once again undersold Dan McDonald's ability to develop players over the course of and, and his offensive coaches, Vrabel and Snyder to develop offensive pieces through two, three, four years. So perhaps that's a thing. I, I wouldn't put it past myself to have undersold that again. Um, but it, it just feels like they've had to work pretty hard to win some of these games. Now they they did over, over the weekend, you know, after a close Friday game against Western Michigan, won the last two going away. So maybe that's just a case of, you know, most teams play their best baseball on Friday, and maybe that's what Western Michigan did and, and just couldn't keep up the last two days. But it does seem like Louisville has had to work hard for a lot of these wins, and that has worried me a little bit. And, and some of the offensive questions that we already had coming into the season about 
Um, some of the dynamic players beyond Benellis and Dunn are now having to do it without Benellis and Dunn, and that gives me a little bit, a little bit of pause. And with Miami, it's you know similar questions about the offense, but the difference is they're mostly healthy. It's just you know Raymond Gill hitting under 200 and Jordan Lala hitting under 200 and um, struggling to find pieces to fill in for the injured Freddie Zamora. Um, they've tried to mix things around a little bit and really haven't figured that piece out yet. So their offense just hasn't quite lived up to where I was thinking it would be. The pitching has been, uh, you know, Slade Ciccone is has maybe, you know, not been as good, but, you know, if we're talking about three-week sample size, but the pitching by and large has been good enough, it has, been, it has been about what we expected it would be. It's been the offense that's been the more concerning piece, and that's going to continue to be my concern until they kind of prove otherwise on that. So um, the flip side of that, though, is if it's not those two as the favorites, you have to pick someone else. And that's where I kind of get stuck. You know, in the Atlantic, I, I, I like the NC Atlantic State. The easy. That's NC State, right? They're 11 and up. Uh, right. But then, like, have we seen this movie before with NC State? You know, it feels like they are a team that annually gets out to, like, a sprinting start, and it's just a matter of does it hold over the second half of the season. Now, what might be different for NC State, and now, now we're bleeding into, like, a different conversation here, but what might be different for NC State this year is Nick Swinney. The problem, to the extent that it was a problem, I mean, they've won a ton of games, but... The issue with NC State in the past has been, you know, after Rodon left campus, you know, the struggle to find a Friday guy or, you know, more than one guy who really gives them... You ran into Brian Brown? I mean, he was a good, like, he was a good pitcher, a good solid pitcher, but he wasn't the guy that was giving you... He also pitched a lot on Saturdays. Yeah, and he he wasn't always giving you the, the... long dominant starts i mean he was he was a nice pitcher so i'm probably selling him a little bit short but by and large nc state just hasn't had like a dude that's been able to get them deep and they've they've relied on the bullpen heavily Um, now that's worked for them they've had a good versatile bullpen year after year but i think we may be seeing nick swinney as a guy who is going to be able to give them seven every friday which sets them up to be able to use their bullpen a little more judiciously on saturday and sunday and i think um, I think that's a big deal for them. So maybe in that division, I mean, that's the team, but I do worry a little bit that we're just hearing the next verse of a song we've heard before, and I think NC State's going to have to prove it to me a little bit more. And, and the Coastal, of course, is a little bit more of a, uh, you know, everything's up in the air. I mean, Pitt is 10-1, and one, um, you know. So, yeah, no kidding. But I like Duke, but, like, Duke has some of the same Louisville concerns in terms of not just the offensive piece, but... Uh, you know, they've been in some close games with some teams I did not expect them to be in close games with, and uh, you know what the pitching is going to be there. Virginia has come on strong after losing that opening series against Oklahoma, so I'm interested to see, uh, you know, what, who do they have this weekend? Don't they have they a big NC State, and that's, yeah. that's uh, one of the premium series. The, the other one is Florida State coming to Duke. Uh, so those are two kind of banner ones, and, like, yeah. those are, I think all of those teams are the teams that are in the mix. You know, with the exception of not getting Louisville into it, um, those four plus Louisville and you know Clemson has has a case, I guess right now um, they've they've played pretty well against Liberty, Stony Brook, and and South Carolina. I mean, the thing about Clemson, I mean, they deserve to be in this conversation because they're in the top twenty-five, absolutely. But I don't mean this disrespectfully, but like Clemson kind of ended up in the top twenty-five. We were looking for teams and. You know, you reward a, a rivalry series win 
and their overall record and some of what they've done individually, like what Sam Weatherly did. But yeah, I mean, like, but also Liberty. That's a they swept Liberty, and Liberty is a regional team that we sure they were a regional team last year. We expect them to be a regional team again, and I know both of us did not expect to see a sweep on opening weekend against Liberty. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, and, and Stony is you know, Stony Brook's two and eight, but you know they're better than that. Um, I'm sure they start off every year similarly. I mean, that's just the nature yeah. of what what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know that we know a ton about Clemson. Like I, I'm I'm not here to to say that Clemson has this incredible resume, but I, I think that it's a very highly respectable resume. Um, and frankly, we're not going to know a ton about them for a while. They have, uh, you know, until they play one of those other like leading contenders we were talking about. We're waiting until April for that. Wow. When they go to Louisville. So it's very backloaded for them. They close the, the first five weeks of, of conference play. They avoid all of that. And then they close at Louisville, at Duke, NC State, at Miami, Florida State. So they need to make some hay early. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see what, what comes from them. I, I think that I'm still good with Louisville and Miami as being the favorites. I think they have the best pitching in the conference by far. Um, when we're looking at, at starting and bullpens and pro, you know, guys throwing 95, whatever, like I think they have the, the best compilation of that in the conference. I think state's pitching is getting better. Uh, you know, and, and what you said about Nick Swinney is, is a huge thing for them. I, to say I'm skeptical of the start would be wrong. That's not really where I'm at. I just kind of wonder, you know, before last weekend when they went up and, and beat some Big Ten teams pretty well in Minnesota, you know, Tennessee Tech and James Madison, they swept them. It's not doing a whole lot for me. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens in a true road series at Virginia, a team that, you know, so if I was ranking pitching in the ACC, it would be Louisville and Miami and then UVA and UNC as like the next two. And so now NC State's pitching has a chance to get on that UNC UVA level for me, but now they have to do it on the road at UVA, which is gonna throw it really well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very interested in how that series plays out. I'm maybe more interested in how that series plays out than anything else this weekend, including Florida State at Duke, because I think I know what Florida State and Duke are at reasonably well. But with Virginia and NC State, there's, to me, still an element of unknown in both of those teams. And I'm looking for more clarity. I'm looking for the information that uh, those two playing a series in Charlottesville should be able to give us. And so I, that's a really fun, low-key series that I think maybe is flying a little under the radar because Virginia doesn't have a number next to its name. But to me, even more than the top 25, top 15 series we have between Florida State and Duke, which is going to be really fun and I'm going to be at, uh, I'm very interested in the results uh, that, that transpire in Charlottesville this weekend. Yeah, I, yeah that, I mean, that's, and I think ultimately I, I come to, back to where you were to circle back on the original question. I think I too am still good with Louisville and Miami as the favorites, but I, I just wonder if um, it's not the runaway that maybe we thought it was. Uh, maybe the, the ACC is perhaps as deep but more condensed than we thought. Yeah, um, and I think with Louisville's injuries, and Miami's injuries. You take out Zamora, Benellis, and Dunn from these three teams. Like, oh, those are dudes. Yeah. And they're gone. Those are like first-team all-ACC all guys, all-American-type players. And 
you know, to remove them from, from those teams, you know, of course those teams are going to suffer for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, so, yeah, it, it, now that means as, as observers and as people who cover it, that just kind of makes it maybe a little more interesting. Um, so we'll have to see. But uh, it, it, it does feel like maybe it's it, the league is a little a little bit more condensed than uh, we were giving it credit for in the preseason. And there are good reasons for that that, that you laid out. But, um, but certainly the Miami and Louisville, as it stands now, have come back to the pack just a little bit. I mean, and honestly, I think that's good news for the league if the goal, I mean, I guess it depends on what your goal is. If the goal is to get a national champion for, what, the second time in like 60 years at this point, um, you need Louisville and Miami operating at full strength. Those are probably the two best uh, shots this year. But if the goal is to just get a ton of teams in regionals, what they have right now, uh, I think, sets up pretty well for that, that, you know, there are... There, there might not be these elite teams that are, that are ready to separate, but you could see them getting to 10 regional bids again, which would just be the second time the ACC has done that. And frankly, you could see them be the team to, or be the conference to break the record and, and maybe put in 11, uh, which the SEC has come very close to the last couple of years, but hasn't quite been able to do. But if, um, if teams like Virginia Tech, which is off to a, uh, a seven and three start and, and Wake Forest, which stumbled at Long Beach for sure. But if they, if if those teams can kind of keep it going or get it together or whatever, then then the conference is in a a position to be incredibly deep again. Yeah, that, I mean that's certainly something to watch too. I mean I, I'm always I'm not always great about kind of recalibrating as the season goes on. And so you take a team like Wake Forest that we rank coming out of the the preseason and we we feel good about. And then they take a you know they, they they take a series loss early on and and we kind of push them to the back and it's easy unless that team just gets right back to ripping off wins it's easy to kind of forget about them and and this, this happened actually with Wake Forest last year we weren't as high on them um, as some others but still thought it was a team with potential and then they they kind of got in the hole early and then lo and behold here they came up the you know kind of through the back door and that that can happen in leagues like the ACC where you know, the bar for entry on getting into a regional isn't always super high. And you're going to get a lot of opportunities for RPI bumps where if you're just avoiding getting swept on the road and you're mostly taking care of business at home, that's usually all you really need in these leagues to put yourself in a position to get into a regional. And so for these teams that are kind of on the low end of the middle of the pack in the ACC, right now it might seem like, boy, that's, you know, a tough thing to overcome. Like even a team like BC that's under 500 to start the year, it might be easy to write them off. But if they start taking care of business in the ACC, it doesn't take that long for them to be right back in position. And that's how you end up with a year when they could get that that type of volume of teams into the field. I didn't come into this intending to talk Wake Forest, but so Wake got swept at Long Beach and then came back home and lost to App State. So like pretty, pretty bad stretch there. Um, but they've won five straight since it, the competition has not been good. There, there's no way around that. The, the five teams they've beaten have won a total of, uh, let me do some quick math here. What is that? Five, nine games total um, in the oh, spread among three teams. This week, though, they get Louisville at home, then they get Clemson at home, and then they go to NC State. And those three weeks are going to be very telling. And so if Wake Forest has re, re you know, back together, gotten something figured out after that no good, very bad week, they could be in a position to, to really make some hay this over the next month, 
or this could snowball on them and Wake Forest could find themselves digging out of a very deep hole. And so that all starts this weekend at home against Louisville, which is going to be an interesting series as well. I'm not sure I'm going to get out there. We'll see. It's possible. I'm not quite sure. But I do know I'll be at Florida State and Duke. And, Joe, the the Knowles have been interesting. Um, you know, they lost on opening day to, to Niagara, then kind of righted the ship. And um, But the competition has not been incredible until this last weekend when they then went 2-2 two and two against FAU and Texas Tech. So I don't know that we know a ton. And so I'm going to be very interested just to see them up close, see what they've got uh, in the rotation in Van Eyck and Drohan, um, what DeSatis is looking like, uh, Cabell is doing. Cabell has been hitting really well. Um, Matt Nelson behind the plate. It's a, it's a good collection of talent, and it now faces a pretty tough test on the road for the first time this season with the Blue Devils, who we know can pitch, and you know, you're playing in a bit of a bigger ballpark there, certainly bigger than what Florida State is uh, doing down in Tallahassee. The Durham Bulls Athletic Park is a triple-A ballpark, and it plays like it. Um, and, but the, the Blue Devils are young, so this is a, a nice test for them as well to, to start conference play. Yeah, certainly an opportunity for us to learn about about both teams. Florida State, I, I can confidently say, I, you know, you said you're not sure you know what Florida State exactly is. I'm confident to say that I don't know what they are, and some of that is because they, they've They've mostly won. I mean, that you, you laid out the competition there, and, and losing both of those games to, to Texas Tech was uh, kind of a tough break there. They would have really liked to have gotten at least one of those. but Especially uh, as close as they were. Right, exactly. I mean, they were kind of – they were both basically coin flick games that yeah. they both went against Florida State. And But you look at the offense, and, um, I mean, first of all, 257 as a team – um, is not exactly what you're, you know, you, you come to expect from Florida State. Although they are in very Florida State fashion, getting on base at a 436 clip. So that's things do not change. Yeah, that is very uh, on brand for Florida State. But but like individually, like Reese Albert is under under 200. Like Elijah Cabell has five home runs, but he's hitting 243. Yeah, Nand- that's Elijah Cabell, I feel like. <laughs> I mean, yes, that <laughs> not but, 243 necessarily. But, but like you'll take the you'll take there. the five home runs though too. And and Nander DeSantis is under 200, and so. Um, you know, Matt Nelson is up to 256. I feel like when we had this conversation last week or whenever it was, he was actually under 202. So uh, Robbie Martin has been has been right on track. But it's it, the guys who we kind of expected to carry the water for for Florida State here have not been the guys necessarily offensively that have been have been doing so. So um, I you know I will be eager to hear from you what you saw over the weekend with, with Duke and Florida State because they are you know Duke being so close to where we are here and yet. Um, because the competition has kind of been what it's been, I you know I I haven't seen a ton of them. I mean I know what's going on there pitching wise, um, and and you know surprise surprise Duke is is pitching well again and, and showing that that's going to be a, a strength for them. So uh, a good opportunity for for one of these teams to get off on the right foot and, and kind of start building. A, they're a little bit different than some of the teams at the lower middle pack of the ACC or even just in the middle of the pack of the ACC, where, where they're starting to try to build cases to host regionals. That's kind of their, what they have their sights set on. And if they want to do that, they've got to keep an eye on winning two of three basically every weekend. And so tough task with Florida State being on the road. I presume it'll be a little bit chilly here. I have not, I'll be in SoCal, so I have not looked at the weather here at all, to be honest with you. Um, so conditions you know, could, could be a little bit challenging for a team from Florida that has mostly played at home, uh, I presume, have they played on the road at they all? Yeah, so, um, you know, played at home all season long. So going on the road for the first time, that could be a potential challenge and a great opportunity for Duke to 
uh, get a series win that, that should age like a fine wine as the season goes on. Now, I believe they were supposed to play on the road uh, on Tuesday. Oh, against Mercer. Against yep. Mercer. Got and then moved. got moved to Tallahassee because the weather in Georgia wasn't great. And then they, uh, Florida State was probably thrilled that that happened because they went on a walk-off when Tyler Martin, who is the, a freshman and the son of Mike Martin Jr., uh, he, he hit the, the game winner. So that was, a, that was a cool moment. Saw that one on the, on the TV. And yes, to your point, uh, we have weather in the 50s this weekend with a low on Saturday of 29 degrees. So enjoy SoCal, Joe. Yeah, I'm going uh, to come back. I'm going to be all tan, you know, and, uh, you know, just like been sunning myself out there. I'm going to be I'm not actually going to go cover the game at Pepperdine. I'm just going to lay in the bleachers and listen to the waves crash up against the against the rocks. But, um, but, but yeah, so that, I mean, that can be a challenge for a team that has, I mean, being on the road for the first time is enough of a challenge. I was talking to a coach this weekend and I'm, I'm not playing coy. I honestly don't remember who it was this past weekend at the, at the LeClaire Classic in Greenville. But, um, you know, they, they said that, you know, going on the road is just the, for the first time is kind of a challenge because you've got in college baseball, you've got enough new players and this is a new experience for a lot of them, you know, being, you know, away at college, and being on this team and then you go away and you're staying in a hotel and like you just don't know how they're going to act you know and and um i think sometimes it's easy to kind of downplay that um because we kind of assume this level of professionalism from these highly skilled individuals but um you know i remember when i was 18 and if you know going away on a first road trip i'd be super excited but i don't know that i'd be able to control my emotions and then it would probably wear on me a little bit because my roommate I found annoying or something, you know, just some like petty 18 year old something or rather uh, would have got on my nerves. Um, so there are a lot of things that can happen with that. So I think it's a good opportunity for Duke and, and an opportunity for us to learn a little more about Florida State. Yeah, that is uh, the great thing about the start of conference plays. It is a great time to start learning more about these teams because you start getting more, uh, you know, Similar level of opponents and same teams playing each other. You get common opponents, and, and so it's uh, we will finally find out some more about some of these teams. And, and I am I am very much looking forward to that uh, this weekend. I just want to throw out a couple other series. I don't want to dwell on these, but if you're looking around for things this weekend, San Diego State is uh, is going to Oklahoma. That is an intriguing series. The Aztecs are off to a nice start to the season at 9-4. and four. That's the Mountain West favorite, a team that I feel like if they get into a regional is going to be a dangerous team in a regional. And, of course, Oklahoma coming off of a great performance at the uh, Shriners College Classic and then beat DBU on Tuesday. So they're, they're in a good spot, uh, and now San Diego State has to go to Norman. So that, that's an intriguing series. And I mentioned it before, UCSB heading up to Oregon State. That's the home opener for the Beavers, at least the home series opener. I don't think they played a midweek this week. And the, uh, the start of the Mitch Canham era in Corvallis. And UCSB, like I mentioned early on, delivered the first loss of the season for UCLA on Tuesday night. And UCSB is now 10-2. It's a team that obviously had a really successful 2019, won the Big West, lost a ton of talent to the draft, and I think a lot of people were looking at it like, well, the Gauchos have to take a step back now. Well, at least so far, they haven't, and I really think that this team can be pretty solid throughout the whole season. When you have guys like Rodney Boone at the front of the rotation, they have some nice pieces back in the lineup. Um, you know, McLean and uh, Castanon in the infield are, are both really good players. 
you know, I think that, you know, the Gauchos are a team to watch for in the Big West, which has been very competitive so far this season. And this is a, the chance, another chance for a Big West team to, uh, to add a, some marquee wins, which obviously would help the Gauchos, but also would, would lift the tide for everyone in the Big West. Yeah, you know, it's funny. We talked about how, you know, maybe this year, and maybe this doesn't come to pass, we talked about the possibility that, that the pack, uh, you know, could be, could be down this year from where they were last year. But, I mean, so for one, that, that may not, that still is, is, the jury is going to be out on that one for a long, long time because they do have the benefit of play being the Pac-12. But the West Coast in general, I think, is in an interesting spot where we've talked about the Big West opportunities to go and, and make sure they get at least a second team into regionals. And, um, you know, the, the Mountain West Conference has, has been in a position to do that, and San Diego State could further that. Um, by showing well in Norman this weekend. And, you know, I was doing some... And, and the West Coast Conference, you know, Pepperdine this weekend has Michigan sure. at home, and San Diego, which is off to a 9-3 and three start, uh, visits Indiana. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say, is I did some, I crunched some numbers on, like, non-conference, one loss by conference uh, for, for three strikes this week, and you can't make big, grand statements with it, but it, it's always interesting because everyone <coughs> has just played non-conference to this point. And um, I think the West Coast Conference is setting itself up, um, setting itself up for an opportunity to to push to get at least one more team into into, into regionals with just what they've done so far. Because this is going to get into the weeds, so prepare yourself. But we talk so much about how the Big West has struggled because they didn't win non-conference games. They scheduled many of the teams out there schedule very aggressively, but they weren't winning enough of those games. Well, they're winning more of them this year. Then you've got teams like San Diego State, for example, out west that, that do that and typically win more and give themselves that opportunity. And the West Coast Conference has been in a bad spot where they've got some teams that have done a nice job out there. You know, Gonzaga, uh, San Diego some years is, is, is in that position. Uh, BYU nearly got there last year. Um, so the problem has been, though, with the West Coast Conference is there are typically a couple of teams at the bottom of the league that serve as anchors on the RPI. And, um, you know, in terms of, uh, not just in terms of when you play them in Hertz RPI, but also because their win-loss records were so poor that it was really having this, this cascading effect. But, I mean, don't look now. I mean, this is a conference that um, has Portland, which has not historically been one of the, now they've been better the last couple of years, but, I mean, that was a team that finished in last place something like three or four years in a row at one point in the recent past. Santa Clara has been stuck at the bottom of the league for a long time. I mean, they've done well against a tough schedule, including a series against Georgia. I mean, they played four games against Georgia, and they only have five losses. Um, so that is, uh, you know, pretty impressive when you consider most of that. Most of those losses, three of them, came from the Georgia series. So it is to where Pacific is above 500, which is significant for them, especially with Ryan Garko having left in January right? to take a job with the Angels. And uh, San Francisco's under 500 right now, but is coming off of a series win against Fullerton, which... Uh, is pretty significant. Yeah, and you, then you look at the bottom of the league, and you see Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and LMU that have always have already have excuse me have all played difficult schedules, and they're not going to be at the bottom of the league once conference play starts. So I'm less certain about St. Mary's. There was a talent exodus after last year, but Gonzaga and LMU are definitely going to rise. Even still, okay. So you know maybe that maybe St. Mary's is in for a tough year, but those other two for sure. And so I say all that to say it may be a little bit too early to to really be super declarative about this, but it. It does look like it's starting to shape up for a year for the West Coast Conference, where as long as there are a couple of a couple or handful of teams that really rise to the top of that league, and everyone's not hovering around the same conference record, 
this could be a two-bid league in the West Coast Conference again, which it has been in the past. That's not groundbreaking, but the conditions are such that it could be the type of year where they've got a couple teams that are clearly in the field as opposed to really having to work for it. Yeah, and you know the 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 level of play there is has always been pretty solid. Now it's just a matter of like, can you you know get some of these big time series wins and so i mentioned uh you know san diego and pepperdine well byu is at oklahoma state this weekend that, that's another uh you know good series that that gives them an opportunity so you know, that, that's another another one to uh to keep an eye out on joe we uh this week also reported on some news scaling back or rewinding I guess a little we've we've been talking about what's to come this weekend we're now going to rewind it back to Tuesday I guess when we reported that the American Athletic Conference next year will use uh, will, will unveil a novel scheduling concept for the the 2021 and 2022 seasons so the American presently has nine teams in its league UConn is headed back to the Big East after this season and that will leave the American with eight teams, which they operated at for a few years there after the first season of the conference, which still included Louisville and Rutgers. It was weird. They, there were a couple of teams that, yeah, yeah I mean, it was, anyway, it was a weird now. deal. Yeah. So they were at eight teams for a while, and they did not like their scheduling format with eight teams because they didn't want to play just 21 conference games. That They didn't feel like that was enough. They needed to play 24. And so back then, they played... They, they gave each team a travel partner that they played home and home with, and then they played everyone else in the league still. So some of those made sense. USF played UCF six times, home and home. Great. Fantastic rivalry. War on I-4. Uh, but also it meant that like UConn played ECU six times, which has no natural rivalry. And um, you know, the, this led to some significant scheduling imbalance. So that all got solved when Wichita State joined the league, and then they just went to everyone plays everyone three times. But now, having lost UConn, they did not want to go back to that old format. So instead, they came up with this concept where they would play on the first weekend of conference play. They're going to hold two four-team tournaments, one at Central Florida, one at South Florida. And those games are going to count as conference games. And they haven't figured out what the pods are going to look like yet. That There's some sort of algorithm that's going to be determined after the season, I guess. And they're th that way, though, they're going to get to 24 games with what should be a relatively balanced strength of schedule for everyone in the conference. Uh, this is kind of a throwback to something the Southwest Conference did in 1995 and 96. Um, it's not clear to me whether those games counted as conference games back then. Um, the Southwest Conference records are somewhere in a library in Lubbock. Uh, so the next time I'm in Lubbock, maybe I'll go and, like, find out exactly but it they had a similar setup they played those games in houston and so for the next two years at least the, that's how long the american is committed to this this tournament structure um they're going to do it this way they're probably going to keep doing this assuming no conference realignment uh it's just that they might not keep doing them at usf and U, ucf that they might you know tulane and houston are also options to to host such tournaments so it's interesting and you know, we both both of our when we first heard about it, I, I think both of our ears perked up. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. We both we heard it independent of each other. We heard it, you know, two separate places from two 
unrelated people except that they are associated in some way with the league um so yeah it was interesting that, that we both kind of heard it that way but uh um I, I think it's a great idea it's an outside the box idea and obviously it's happened before and you know so it's not a completely novel idea but uh it's a great bit of outside the box thinking and I mean, we, we wrote about some of why it's a positive for the league. I mean, one, staying at, at 24 league games um, keeps you from having a condensed schedule where, you know, everyone finishes, you know, uh, within two and a half games of each other, for example, which could happen. The, the three extra games doesn't sound like a lot, but it really kind of can help stretch out the standings a little bit and allow the cream to rise. Um, the other thing is that, you know, they already play a shorter conference schedule than um, it's similar, it's the Big 12, you know, kind of similar in length there, but it's not the 30 games you see with ACC and the SEC. And so um, they were going to be, if they didn't do this and they decided to go back to 21 games, they're going to be looking at scheduling a seventh non-conference weekend. And A, there's no guarantee what you could get, and actually it's most likely what you would get with a seventh non-conference weekend is going to be worse for the metrics than three more league games. And beyond that, you know, good luck finding someone to come to your place or even go on the road in, you know, a late March when everybody else is in conference play and it isn't even really deep enough in conference play to want to take a bye week, even if they could. The logistics of that, you know, really would be dictating what you'd get, but that just would be very much a roll of the dice. And so this really gives them a little bit of scheduling certainty, which I, what I think is a real positive for the league maximizing its postseason prospects and also give, having an opportunity for teams to really rise to the top. Yeah, the, the big thing, I think, is the, the RPI part of this, that um, you know, they aren't going to take a hit by scheduling just whatever Southland Conference or Big South Conference or you know, whoever they can find, uh, you know, one of these leagues with a, an awkward number of teams. Um, you know, there have been some pretty good non-conference series for AAC teams, but scheduling seven of those is, is a bear. So I, I think that that's, that's the most significant thing. And then I think the other thing is that they, because they're going to do this and it's going to be so different, they're going to get more buzz. You know, we're going to spend some time talking about this next year because everyone else is going to be doing their normal thing and it's going to happen at a time when like the SEC play has already been going for a couple of weeks so it's not going to be novel that SEC teams are playing each other anymore like this is going to be a new, like something a little off the wall and we're going to be very interested to see how it goes and so I, I think the league can get maybe a little more buzz out of it uh, you know just by coming together I, uh, you know, I, I think you also have to acknowledge that what USF and UCF are going to do here is, is pretty significant, that you know, this is not going to be a small undertaking, and they are going to get three extra home games out of this, um, which in some ways is good and in some ways is bad. Uh, I think they're trying to figure out if they can somehow make these all neutral site games for everyone, uh, because that is a slight bit of an RPI hit for, for USF and UCF to, to play these extra home games now. That might be mitigated just by the fact that they could stay in their own bed. I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that if I was those people in those programs. But um, you know, I know that is a consideration that the the league is looking at. And you know, I I, I just like the the uh, the creativity here because you know I, I we've seen leagues try and figure very complex schedules out before, and 
often struggle to, to find the kind of consensus that the American was able to find here. You know, I know the Big Ten has, uh, you know, I've talked to John Anderson, who's been in that league for pretty much, I think, my entire life, probably more than, I've probably longer than I've been alive. And he, uh, he told me that he has this file of all of the scheduling debates they've ever had as coaches. And anytime that something comes up, he like looks in the file and like inevitably they've talked about it before. And so the, the Big Ten has been trying to solve their problem forever. And here the American has, has found a solution that's better than the solution they found the last time. Uh, you know, it might be a little wonky, uh, but I, I, I do think it's fairer for everyone and that it has the ability to, to generate some more interest than at least uh, you know, just a, a Wichita State Memphis, you know, home and home. I'm not really feeling it. Um, but you put these teams in a tournament for a weekend, you know, I, I think that that's something that college baseball fans can get more into. Yeah, and, and for folks like us, I mean, um, you know, Houston and New Orleans, the logistics of that are, are a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit further apart, but um, certainly, I mean, this is where, you know, the cart is, is way in front of the horse that the horse can't even see the cart anymore. <laughs> but um, it, it, it increases the likelihood someone like you or I goes down there next year and covers this thing because it's, you know, Tampa and Orlando, and you, you, can, you could do that. You know, you could go to both locations fairly easily and uh, kind of see the whole thing taking, taking shape. So um, I think it's a, it's a master stroke. I mean, and that was not their, their top-line priority there, but it is a nice little benefit. But I just think, in general, I think this is a master stroke of figuring out a situation where they the, the easy thing to do would just be like we've done this before let's just go back to the way it was and people might come you know the people who have the disadvantageous schedules will complain about it but for a while but then it'll probably just go away life will go on we'll all move on so on and so forth that would have been the easy thing to do so kudos to them for kind of moving past that what i assume was the starting point of the conversation and, and figuring something else out do you like it at the start or would you like it more at the end? Like, what if the trophy was on the line at these tournaments? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, so I don't think that the coaches would probably go for that. Um, I mean, maybe, though. I don't know. I, maybe I'm not giving enough credit. But So I think the, the best place to put it just from, from general interest and fun would be towards the end of the year. But I think to really kind of have it be the least disruptive thing to the schedule is probably putting it at the beginning. And also, it does create an event out of starting American conference play. I have to admit a lot of times American conference play starts and to your point about the SEC, you know, and certainly the ACC, which is a week earlier than the SEC, like we're kind of at that point used to those teams playing each other and then American conference play starts and you're like, oh yeah, you know, because for a while we've just been kind of discarding the American as well, they haven't started playing each other yet, so on and so forth. So it does kind of create a situation where the, the start of that league play is a little bit of an event, which I think is, is something. I'll certainly know when it happens. You know that that is that is one thing that hasn't always been as apparent because it doesn't. You know it's disconnected from the, everyone else. You know even the Big Ten I think starts earlier because they throw in some bye weeks and stuff. So uh, I, I do I, I like it overall. I, I I like the outside the box thinking and, and definitely credit to all of the coaches involved for for doing something a little bit different. And you know I'll be I'll be very interested to see how. Uh, how it goes next year and then you know where it goes from there how they how they continue to develop this idea or whether they abandon it completely because they decide they hate it i mean that's that, i suppose that is an option here it's as on well. the table the uh the southwest conference stopped doing it because it broke up 
So hopefully this is, doesn't foretell the breakup of the American in two years. Uh, but you know, it's uh, it, it should bring some some buzz to the league, and and uh, you know, I, I'm just interested to see how it all plays out. All right, so with that, Joe, we are gonna gonna wrap it up here today. We'll we'll have plenty more uh, to talk about on Monday when we have a new top twenty-five. There's a lot of content over at the website if you're still looking for uh, for college baseball, uh, your, your college baseball fix. Joe uh, has his three strikes uh, piece up, focusing. Uh, you, you can read some more about the WCC. That, that's where that info came from. We'll have some uh, Ole Miss stuff in there as well, so you can check that out. Uh, you also can look for what to watch this weekend, which includes where you can watch it all. All the top 25 teams. Uh, on TV slash streaming devices. So uh, th- those are two things to, to keep your eye out for over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And we love it when you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, be that uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, uh, you, can, you can subscribe to us there and get it right in your phone as soon as the the episode posts and if you are doing that and want to leave us a rating or review let us know what what you like about the podcast or or ask us a question there we appreciate that as well i want to thank roman again for uh for for sponsoring this episode of the baseball america podcast and remember, you can go to GetRoman.com BA for your free online visit and free two-day shipping. We will be back here on Monday. Like I said, there will be a new Top 25. We'll talk about all of the action uh, that Joe saw out in SoCal and that I saw uh, here with the start of ACC play and everything that happens in between. So until then, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.